everyone. So good to see everyone, and I'm so glad to see Andy is here with us today. Yes, and his beautiful wife, June, and we thank you for coming. You are so precious before our church body. We thank you. Um, so we've had a wonderful, beautiful spring beginning, haven't we? Don't you feel like spring is almost here and the flowers are starting to come out? I am doubly blessed to see Jan here today, that she's feeling better and she's got a beautiful smile. And doubly blessed to see Sue Divine. Thank you for coming. Well, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do praise and thank you. You are the merciful, the kind God who sets his compassion over us, who directs our path, who saves us for his own, calls us his children, and instructs us to cry out, Abba, Father. As we prepare over the next couple of weeks with the remembrance of your sacrifice and your um, ascension, we just praise and thank you for, you, for uh, all that you have done. And Lord, we call out to you, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Good morning, everybody. What a fabulous morning, you know, to see my sister in Christ back in the back pew sharing it with me and keeping me under control. The only thing I'm thinking we're missing is Glenn Bowell. Um, you know, with everything that's going on with Ukraine, Russia, and all the, the news, I have something special that the Lord has set aside for you today the resurrection, and the life. He who believes in me will live and will never die. We have three great enemies, sin, Satan, and death. <clears throat> but we know that Christ rose from the dead, and we know that sin and Satan and death have been decisively defeated. And because Christ rose from the dead, we know there is life after death and that we belong to him and we will not need the we will not have the fear of death or hell. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whosoever lives and believes in me will never die. He also promised, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that where I am you may be also. How hopeless our lives would be true, excuse me, how hopeless our lives would be if these words were not true. Every cemetery and every gravesite would be a mute witness to the futility and despair of human life. But Jesus' words are true. By God's power, Jesus rose from the dead and hundreds became witness to his resurrection. What a glorious hope we have because Jesus is alive. The hope for today, the message of the cross never changes. Christ died for us. The promise of the empty tomb is the same death, is the same death that has been conquered. Though we have heard it many times, our hearts will never tire of his eternal love for us.
banner, let the anthems ring. Praises to our King. Great and mighty is the Lord our God. Great and mighty is He. Great and mighty is the Lord our God. Great and mighty is He.
Take it literally. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our manners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. May the king answer us when we call. And now another song, psalm of encouragement is Psalm 23. If you'd like to stand, we can recite that together. You can make this a prayer very easily. 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen and amen. And greet one another in the name of the Lord.
Our New Testament reading today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. And Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. If you'll join us now in the responsive reading. Artist of souls, you sculpted a people for yourself out of the rocks of wilderness and fasting. Help us as we take up your invitation to prayer and simplicity that the disciple of these 40 days may sharpen our hunger for the feast of your holy friendship and what our thirst for the living water you offer through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have entrusted different things to each one of us. You ask us to give back, to share these things that you have, you have blessed us with, whether they be talents or talents or whatever skills we have. We're to share them back with you, share them with others. So we ask that the gifts that we give today or the gifts that we give at any time be pleasing in your sight. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Rise for the doxology. the praise singers this morning you just do beautiful you do beautiful work I would also like to note that indeed it is a beautiful morning 
this is the morning, the kind of morning, that the Tucson Chamber of Commerce wants the people who live in Pennsylvania and New York to think it's like all year round. Forget about July and August. If you turn your bulletin, find an insert in there, uh, Seven Cries from the Cross. I'd like to make a, a little bit of a disclaimer, uh, although I should say I did talk about this sermon uh, a little bit with Tom McWilliams and kind of got his okay to do this. But it is April. It is Easter month. But this is really not an Easter sermon. This is really much more a Good Friday sermon. It's a Good Friday sermon. Uh, Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross, spoke seven different times. And of those seven, we're going to look at those this morning. We're going to look at those each one of those seven statements or cries that he made from the cross. Let's read about, uh, about crucifixion. Uh, if you look on the back of your insert, you have an outline, you look on the back of that, uh, it talks about crucifixion. I wanted to give you some information, and many of you, I'm sure, probably know already, but just to refresh your minds in some cases. The crucifixion, was ca as carried out by the Romans, was a brutal affair. It was enacted only on slaves and criminals. Roman citizens who were guilty of capital crimes, were beheaded. The process involved securing the hands, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> with either ropes or nails <coughs> to a patibulum or crossbar. In Jesus' case, we know that nails were used. The feet was then affixed with the knees bent. This is important because it allows the one being crucified to push himself up and speak or exhale. You may remember the legs of the two criminals that were crucified with Christ were broken to hasten their death. One could get a breath in the slumped down position but could not exhale it. So in order to breathe on the cross, a sort of a writhing uh, had to take place. As one would slump down, breathe in, and then push up to exhale or speak again. Also remember, Jesus had been scourged so that his beaten, bloody back must rub against the cross upright each time he desired to speak. When Jesus was crucified, he was between two criminals, one on the right and one on the left. There have been some theologians, modern type of theologians, who have said that it's, the talk about the crucifixion is so savage, so brutal, that it should not be discussed or even preached. There have been some in the past who have said that. They've called this a bloody religion and desired to ignore it or at least dilute it in some way. 
This morning we're going to look at those seven cries. We're not going to dilute them, but we're going to take a look straight on. We're going to be using three different passages of Scripture, and the passages of Scriptures are going to be uh, Luke 23, verse 34. We're going to look at John 19, uh, and 26, and other verses there, and we're going to look in Matthew. So I don't know if you've got enough markers or fingers to get hold of that in your Bible, but if you do, you, you certainly may. But let's start out and look at the first words, the first sentence, as it were, that Jesus spoke from the cross. Let's look at Luke 23, 34. Twenty-three, thirty-four. But Jesus was saying, as they're crucifying him, Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. We look at that and we read that and we see that Jesus actually was praying to the Father to forgive the ones who were killing him at that point in time. We look at that and we read that and we think to ourselves, could we do that? I do not know, but let me explain one thing. I don't think that this means that those people were totally forgiven and are all going to be in heaven. Not the soldiers, not the ones who were speaking to him who were the rulers. We know that the rulers included the Pharisees and chief priests and scribes and so on. We know that they hated Jesus. They wanted him out of the way. They felt that he was a difficulty, at least as far as the finances were concerned, and they wanted to be rid of him. But Jesus' first cry from the cross is, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. As I started to say, I don't believe that means that they're all going to be in heaven, they're all forgiven. I think it means that they were forgiven for the specific sin of killing the Messiah. They were forgiven for the specific sin of killing, murdering, if you will, Jesus. We know that the ones that were involved were rulers. We know that the soldiers also, who didn't like the Jews very well anyway, the soldiers that would speak and say, ah, if you're the king of the Jews, go ahead and save yourself. We know that uh, Jesus prayed this prayer. And then I'm going to ask uh, regarding an application or state an application. The application I'm stating is, and I'm going to try for several of these we go through, put an application right at it as time we talk about it. The application is, God calls us who believe in Jesus to be forgivers, to forgive people. At least be ready to forgive. He calls on us and he says in Matthew 18, 
that if you don't forgive, if you absolutely refuse to forgive and hold something against someone who has asked you to forgive them, that says, God will not forgive you either. That's what the scripture says. So when once the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart, helped you and made you to become a Christian, once that has happened and you believe in Jesus, you're also called to be a forgiver. And those who are Christians and believers will indeed be forgivers. Let's look at the second saying, the cry from the cross. Jesus said, Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Let's look, let's look at Luke 23, 43. As we're looking at that, we find that Jesus said those very words. But we need to talk about the criminals for a minute. And these criminals, I need to explain to you, these weren't somebody that went out and stole your clay pot. These were criminals that put a knife to your throat and said, your money or your life. And probably each one of them had taken lives. That is probably the truth of the matter. We know that they're not simple thieves, as the King James would tell us, but they are, in fact, criminals. These are brigands. These are hard men. So when we talk about them, we know that initially, when the crucifix starts, both of them insult Jesus. Both of them speak to Jesus in, in, a, rough, in a rough way, even probably cursing and using first words to talk to him. So, but something happens. You know, as, as we know, as we think about it, crucifixion takes a long time to die. Takes a long time. So, what are the first words of Jesus? He asks for forgiveness of the ones who are killing him. The one thief, the one penitent criminal, Here's that. Surely he must think about that some. Jesus isn't cursing. Jesus isn't calling the Romans a bunch of dogs. Jesus is being crucified and not saying very much about it. But he thinks about that. He has time to think. He can think about his own sins. He can think about what he has heard and what he knows about Jesus. And he can think about what Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. With all of that happening, he speaks out and he answers and he says to the other criminal that's on the other cross, he says, he says to him, do you not even fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. We don't know what the thief thought about how long that kingdom was, but he is saying, remember me and thinking ahead to a kingdom. Jesus said to him, truly, 
I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. The word paradise was brought over from the Persian language, and it meant a great place. It meant a place of, of well-watered, a place that was beautiful. Uh, it was like the Garden of Eden. And that's what it says that, that Jesus is saying, you're going to be with me in paradise. Today, you will be with me in paradise. As we move along, we come to the third cry from the cross. And we turn to the book of John to look at that. Uh, in the book of John, we find that it says, uh, John 19, 26 and 27. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. Who was the disciple that Jesus loved? Do you remember? It was the disciple John. All the rest of the disciples have fled. They're gone. But John is at the cross. One disciple loved Jesus enough to take on the danger of being at the cross. He was at the cross. So we find that he sees him standing next to his mother, and he says to her, to his mother, he says, Woman, behold your son. You know, he could have said mother, but she was probably already crying. And if he said mother, she would have probably cried even harder. He uses simply the term Woman, he says, behold your son. Look at John, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. So he's asking John to consider Mary to be his mother. We know it says that from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. Why didn't he turn her over to either James or Jude, who later on would become prominent in the church? Well, I think the reason was because at this point in time, neither James nor Jude believed. They had not become followers of Jesus himself at that point. It was at a later time that they came and believed. So they did not believe right at that time. He put her into the hands of John, his beloved disciple, to take care of, and believing that he would, would do that, consider her and treat her just like uh, if she were his own mother. We can think for a moment that whenever Jesus talks to Mary, um, that she's probably remembering when he was young, was taken to the temple when he was a baby, and he was taken to the temple. Simeon, the old prophet, came out and said to her, a sword will pierce your own soul. She didn't, excuse me, she didn't know what that was fully until this point of time. Suddenly she's facing it. Surely she's having difficulty understanding. Gabriel, the angel, told her that Jesus is going to have the throne of his father David. 
that he's going to be the Messiah, that he's going to rule forever. And she's watching her son hanging naked on a cross, dying, and surely she can't put those things together. She can't understand how they're going to, how that's going to ever happen. But Jesus gives her into the care of his disciple that he loves. Application. All of us have responsibilities toward family. At some point, some way, we have responsibilities. Very few of us have no responsibility towards family, perhaps some because of, of disease or death or things like that. But we're to have responsibility to take care of our own families. As a matter of fact, in Paul's letter to Timothy, he says, the person that doesn't go ahead and take care of their own family, the one who doesn't do that, he's worse than an unbeliever. Jesus himself is acting out being taken care of his own mother at that point in time. And so should we. We have a responsibility to family. As we would look at the fourth cry from the cross, we'd find that about 3 p.m., Jesus cried with a loud voice, Ele, Ele, Nama Sabakani. This is, of course, being spoken in the language that Jesus would have spoken at that time. But what it means is, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's crying out to the Father, and he is being forsaken. Jesus has been on the cross since 9 o'clock. It's now 3 p.m. He's been on the cross about six hours when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You, you can see the, the passage there is Matthew 27, 46. But I'd like to give you one more verse that you can check on perhaps this afternoon, nothing else going on. Psalm 22, 1, same words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Written in the Psalms by David years and years before. But I'd like you to consider something. Here we have Jesus' cry of abandonment. We think of Jesus' suffering, which is great physical suffering at this point. But before we move on, I'd like to have us just think for one minute about the Father. Remember, the Lord Jesus would say again and again through the Gospels, I do always the will of my Father. The Son and the Father are just like that. And suddenly, the Father has to turn his back on his Son. Why does he have to turn his back on his Son? He has to do that because the Lord Jesus is bearing the sin of the whole world. He bears the sins of the world he bears the sins of us. He bears the sins of people who aren't even born yet. He bears all those sins. Remember, Jesus has been unjustly tried. He was given no food, no water. 
He's been punched around. He's been skirted where he's been hit with cat nine tails again and again and again. And finally, he's crucified and then ends up bearing the sins of the world. And the Father cannot look on those sins when Jesus has them poured out on him. And he, at that point in time, is abandoned by the Father. <coughs> Excuse me. He's abandoned by the Father. The application, the application simply is, your sins are forgiven as you believe in the Lord Jesus, as you trust in Him, as you put your faith in Him. Your sins, every one of them, is, a, is taken care of, is erased, is no longer held against you in any way. The fifth cry from the cross, John, uh, Jesus simply says in John 19, 28, he says, I thirst, I thirst, I'm thirsty. You may remember at the beginning of his crucifixion, they tried to give him a drink, and it says it was wine mixed with gall. We believe that that drink was one that had a great sedative in it, and that the sedative would would uh, dull the experience of the person on the cross, that he might also give less trouble to the Roman soldiers that were trying to crucify him, that were going about that. But he, Jesus refused to drink that drink. Finally, the drink that he accepts is a wine vinegar type of drink that was drunk by soldiers during the day, was drunk by those who would be laboring in the vineyards during the day. It was a wine vinegar drink, and now he is so thirsty. He is so parched. He has not had any fluids of any kind for hours. And now he says, I thirst. But it also says there, before he, before he says this, it says that he knows that everything has been accomplished. Verse 28, Jesus, knowing that all things have been accomplished to fulfill the scriptures, said, I'm thirsty. He thought about us and paid the price for our sin. He did, thought about that and did that before he thought about his own thirst to take a drink to relieve his parchment at that point in time. They took the, the sour wine and they gave him a drink. In uh, the sixth thing that Jesus shouts from the cross, or says from the cross, he says, it is finished. It is finished. It's one word in the original language. It's called tetelestai. One word, tetelestai. Finished. He's done everything as he's been asked. He's, he's borne all of the pain. He has borne our sins. It is finished. Look at uh, the last thing that Jesus says. The very last words are recorded in Luke 23, 46. 
23:46 says these words. Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The Father and Son are united again. He commits himself into his Father's care. Uh, Remember he said during his lifetime, Jesus said, no one takes my life away from me. I lay it down. I can take it back up. Now he has laid his life down and put himself in the Father's care. Application for this one. <clears throat> if the Lord Jesus doesn't return sometime soon, every person in this room is going to die. If you came this morning you're hoping for a a happy, uplifting sermon. Not doing too well on that. Every person in this room is going to die. But we too have the opportunity to pray, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when it comes to that time for us, let us think that we can do that. We can be encouraged that indeed, because of the work that Jesus has done on that cross, that we too can be safely into God's hands. Let's close in a word of prayer. (coughs) Father, nothing on this earth surprises you. And back about 2,000 years ago, your son died on that cross. That was no surprise to you either. Indeed, you had him, you appointed him, as it were, to go there, to do that, so that we might live. Are we truly, in one sense, worth that? No, but in your grace, your kindness, your love, and your mercy, you have had your own son pay for our sins. What what can we do as we approach the Easter season? We can say, thank you, Lord. And we can say, I intend and desire to live in obedience to you in the way that honors you. Lord, help each one of us to do that. To do that in such a way that it will be for your glory, not only now, but forever. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you'd like to stand.
Father, we know that your son died to, for forgiving, to forgive our sins. He was put through tremendous torture and pain, dying in a just a horrible, horrible manner. But even in those times when he was, when he was suffering, he thought of us, all those that had come before us, all those that came after him that he knew he was dying for, their, for all of our sins, Lord, and he asked you to forgive them. And Lord, we ask you to forgive us for our sins as well. Lord, we thank you for this gift and for all that it has done for all of mankind, for all of our lives. This we lift up in Jesus' name. Amen. 